0: Again, Jesus welcomes you and we welcome you. Those that are watching a live stream, we're so grateful you're out there watching. And May God bless you. I hope you get a chance to get outside today. It's beautiful. I'm looking out and uh, sunshiny and it looks wonderful. It's going to be 17 degrees warmer than yesterday. So get out and enjoy the sunshine and the fresh air. It's part of helping our immune system, which we need so much. We'll talk about that in a moment. Hope Awakens, Mo mentioned that, again tonight, 7 p.m., and then again Tuesday and Wednesday. So we hope that you'll come out be uh, a live stream and watch this series as John Bradshaw continues to bless us, and may your hope be awakened. A few notes, again, on SARS-CoV-2, and I bring you pretty much all good news, because there's so much of the other news out there. The CDC is constantly adjusting their death figures down, and that's a good thing. So it's down around 60,000 now. Remember, in 2018, 80,000 died from the regular flu, and that was with a vaccine. We're at about half of that currently in the deaths. That's not to diminish that SARS-CoV-2 is something that you want to get, certainly, but um, it is to say that um, it's not at that level yet we hope it doesn't get to that level so the yearly total the cdc the last i heard was 60,000. so praise the lord for that some states may open soon our president has brought forth a three-phase plan some of you may have looked at that and it's very well put together and so hopefully some states will open soon whether or not ours will believe depends on our governor and our local state government so we'll see how that goes And yeah, that's the presidential guidelines. There's a few things that have been used in some clinical cases. It's not full case studies yet, but there's some potential at least for hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin combination. That's been used in some cases successfully. And so we pray that maybe that will be something that might be able to be utilized. And then this, which brought a bump to the stock market or one of the things that did yesterday, is this, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'll do my best, remdesivir. And it's a medicine that's been around for quite a while, but it's one that's showing some positive results with SARS-CoV-2, so we're grateful for that. Again, though, immune health is our best defense. Natural light and fresh air could keep SARS-CoV-2 out of workplaces. That was a uh, headline that came up recently. And of course, we should know that. You think everybody should know that, but a lot of people don't know that. So that's something that can be done fresh air and sunlight. So make sure and take advantage of that yourself. Also, regarding just keeping our soul temple in the best condition that we can, in New York, most of the fatalities were due to obesity. In Louisiana, You see the figures here, 97% had a pre-existing condition of those that died from the disease, or from the COVID-19. Diabetes was 40% of the deaths, obesity 25, chronic kidney disease 23, cardiac problems 21. That was just in Louisiana. But we know in New York, there was a large um, prevalence of obesity in those that died, so it's, um, our duty, uh, our privilege to be able to keep our soul temple as best we can with exercise and nutrition, water, sunshine, temperance, fresh air, rest, trust in God. A few other things we saw this last week, Montreal's closing every Sunday. And why are we focusing on Sunday? Because we know that's going to be the focus in the last days. Is the coronavirus going to get us there? Well, I'm not saying we're in the last days per se. Uh, or that this is the end of time, coronavirus. But it certainly is a wake-up call and a test. And it may be uh, the beginning of the end. Who knows? Only the Lord knows that. And as uh, I talked with one of my church members, he said, Pastor Rob, you shared a couple weeks ago that um, your sermon title was Second Coming, How Soon is Soon? But you never told us. (laughs) And so we had a a good chat. But He and I both agreed that any day could be the day for us, for for Jesus' coming. So we need to live our lives like today is the day that he's going to come and also plan as if it's going to happen um, several years away. We saw this, and this is an interesting thing that's happening. Pope says coronavirus could be nature's response to climate change. So connecting this with climate change, it's bringing the animals in, is the theory. And he is hoping for an inspired change to happen across the world. And we can be sure that change with the papacy will include Sunday, because that is the big focus. Just today, I saw a headline, Pope says, Living Faith Without Sacraments. Community is dangerous. Well, it is true. We need community, don't we? Uh, Sacraments, we'll talk about that. Another one here, and this is from a few years back now, almost 10 years. Sunday is the day of the Lord and of man, the Pope says. Not what the Bible says. That's what the Pope says. A day which everyone must be able to be free, free for family and free for God. So you see the environment as one, uh, pillar that they're running on to promote Sunday across the world. The other one is family. And who could argue against family, right? Family, work, rest, celebration are gifts from God and important aspects of human life that must find a harmonious balance in order to build a more humane world. I would say amen to that. So worship on Sabbath. <laughs> Six days you should labor and seventh day you should keep holy. Humanity has no future without the family. A lot of truth to that too. So a lot of truth in there, but the twist is that Sunday is the day that we must rest. Today we're going to look at the beautiful faith of Jesus. And I'm so excited about this topic. What is so important about it? Well, it's the very thing that's going to keep sin from rising a second time An understanding of this the faith of Jesus. Before we get into it, let us pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful this morning for your constant care for us. Indeed, as we've sung about, you are the God who is in control and that will never change. And so, Lord, we want to align our lives with your control. And so, please, Lord, take us and make us yours again today. Send your spirit as we study your word This morning, and may he speak, take the human instrument out of the way. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we continue to move along. Our historic freedoms will be challenged. Not will be, they are being challenged. We know from Revelation 13, Daniel 7, and other places, the Bible predicts a coming confederacy of religions attempting to unite church and state. The Ten Commandments are under attack, as we've seen before, especially one, right? If I came to you today and said, you know, murder is a bad thing, there would be no question. You would say, well, duh. But when you come to that one commandment, the Sabbath commandment, which is part of that codex, right? It's part of that code coded commandments in stone then there is a question interestingly enough spoken in front of all Israel was this law written with God's own finger written in stone placed in the ark can you imagine anybody with the audacity to try to even touch the ark they would be killed if they even touched the ark can you imagine them touching the ark ripping off the mercy seat taking those 10 commandments of stone and trying to chisel one of them out That would be crazy, but that's exactly what takes place or has taken place, as we'll see as we go along. And in order to break the law, it's it's one unit. We don't have to break all of it, right? One is all the devil has to get us on. For whosoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of how much? He's guilty of all, James shares with us. But don't you... uh, Doesn't it make you thrilled that God is going to have a people that keep all of the Ten Commandments and keep the faith of Jesus? In fact, it is the faith of Jesus that allows us or empowers us to keep the Ten Commandments. As I said, that Ten Commandments, the only one that needs to be... Explained, because it's under attack, really is the Sabbath. There are others. The idols uh, is another issue. But this is one that is definitely under attack. It's the only one that God says, remember, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Again, in the New Testament, Luke 4, Jesus, as his custom was, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He kept the Sabbath throughout his lifetime. The disciples kept it. If there was a change after Jesus died, as some say, wouldn't the disciples have known? But apparently there wasn't because they did not know. Uh, And indeed, there was no change. The Gentiles kept it. The book of Acts, we find. Acts 17, and we will keep it in heaven. Isaiah 66. Now, why can't we just pick a day? I mean, what, you know, what's, what's all about the days? I mean, why not make it Sunday or make it Friday? It could be Tuesday. Well, the Lord says, it's my day. It's my holy day. God has made it holy, and it's holy with his presence. So you can meet on another day. You can certainly worship every day, but there's only one holy day because it's the day that God is especially there, and it's this day that God has given us. What a privilege that we have to worship him on his day. You know, you can be very sincere and you can be very sincerely wrong. Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So God give us wisdom to pick the right way, and he will. That little voice will tell you, go this way, go that way, if you'll just listen. We looked at Daniel 7 and saw that there is a power that thinks to change times and laws, and we saw that that was the papacy. Now, I don't point this out to condemn any one entity. I grew up, my family is Chiani, we grew up Catholic in Italy, but it's important, I think, that we understand what's happening. I think if I told you, you know, there is a neighbor of yours that's really out to get you and out to get your family. Uh, I know it for a fact. I could be that general, right? I could just be general. But I think you would say, well, could you tell me who it is? (laughs) And so I think to know who it is is important for that reason. Not to look down on the people. Many people have no idea what the papacy teaches. Many priests don't live by it or Act by it, quite frankly. But this is the teaching and this is the power that we know will arise and has arisen in these last days and will continue to gain power as we go forward. The Pope has power to change times, to abrogate laws, to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. This is their own writing. We saw the Ten Commandments and the comparison between the Ten Commandments that the Bible has and the Ten Commandments that the catechism has. We won't go through that again. But the Vatican says this, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of the Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Now, I will say this. You know a lot of Sunday keepers. I know a lot of Sunday keepers. I know a lot of the ministers in this area, of Battle Creek. They're good men. They're godly men. And I think when this comes home, um, a lot of them will maybe reconsider some of what they're doing, especially in regard to Sunday. For sure, it's going to be an issue that all of us must decide and will come to each one of us and to our hearts. And so now is the time, today is the day of salvation. Pope Leo said, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty which is just straight-up blasphemy. Christ, this is Pope Benedict, Christ has chosen us, the priest, to be the only ones to forgive sin in his name. Therefore, it is a specific ecclesial service that we must make a priority. Well, again, God is the one that forgives sins. We can come to God directly. That's why this is all so important. It's about the character of God. It's an attack on the character of God. And we must see his character clearly. The greatest question in the universe is the question as to the character of God, believe it or not. And any distortion of that just prolongs the delay before Jesus comes. This power would be civil and religious. Encyclical of Pope Pius 9 says this to require the state not to leave any man free to profess his own religion. This is what the Pope has the right to do, according to him. To employ force, to claim dominion in all temporal things, to hold princes and kings in subjection. The day of the Lord was not chosen by any direction noted in Scripture. And I liked our Sabbath school lesson about Scripture today. We're going to talk more about that. In fact, as we go forward, not from any direction noted in Scripture, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that the Scriptures should be the sole authority, sola scriptura, according to this St. Catherine Catholic Church Sentinel from right here in Michigan, those who think the Scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become what? Seventh day Adventists and keep Saturday holy because it is the sabbath very interesting admission in that statement well god's end time people will be commandment keepers and faith of jesus keepers the sabbath is a sign of rest of blessing of holiness of sanctification and redemption it stands for all that stuff and my jesus is all that stuff he's my rest giver he's the one that blesses He's the one that gives me holiness. He's the one that sanctifies, and he is my redemption. So when you think of it in that way, Jesus is at the very heart of the Sabbath, there on the cross where he redeemed the human race. And so to throw out the Sabbath, I'd have to throw out Jesus. And I certainly would never want to do that. I know you wouldn't either. Also, to replace the Sabbath would indicate that one must provide another Savior. Very important, and we'll get into that more as we go on. But this beautiful thing, the faith of Jesus, what exactly is it? Well, I will give you two definitions today that I think it is or it could be. The faith of Jesus, what am I talking about, is this. It's the faithfulness of God throughout all eternity. There's this rich word in the Old Testament. It's chesed, and it is translated loving kindness. It's translated so many different things because it's so big, nobody can handle it. The concept is huge of God's love, God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, the faithfulness of God throughout all eternity. This is what is at question even now. Go to me to Romans 3 and verse 4, and let me share one scripture there with you. And I've got the King James this morning. Romans 3, 4 says, God forbid. Yea, let God be true, and every man a what? Every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in your sayings, And might overcome when thou art judged. And so God is, in a sense, on trial, his faithfulness. The devil says, you know, God's real good at requiring sacrifice, but not so good at giving it. Well, the cross dispelled all of that, but he's now going to have a people that live that. And so back to this the faithfulness of God. Throughout eternity is the faith of Jesus, but especially seen in the faith-filled life of Jesus on this earth. Think about this. When Jesus lived on this earth, he took flesh upon him, right? He took humanity. He was fully God and fully man. And so how did he overcome sin? He did it by faith. How well did he do in the battle? He won every battle, right? He was without sin. So Jesus developed a perfect faith Now he offers that faith to you and me. He says, here is the faith of Jesus that has won every single test. What a great gift God wants to give us in the faith of Jesus. A second definition would be this, and I think when you combine it with the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, maybe it has an even broader application of the gospel as a whole. His birth, life, death, and resurrection. Everything we do is built upon the finished work of Christ. We looked last week at Jesus in his most trying times, and he had to look back on the acceptance of his father heretofore given. Right? So he had to remember back, okay, I'm accepted, I'm accepted, I'm accepted. There was times he couldn't see through the portals of the tomb. He didn't feel accepted. So he had to look back on that. Now is the time for us to be building that relationship and to be firming up that assurance in the faithfulness of God. And God is faithful. Amen? Well, why would the devil not want you to understand this truth? As I said before, it just means absolutely everything. This will be the end, the death knell to him finally when it is understood. And since we're right there in Romans, look in chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Very important words there also. Because the gospel is at the center of this. Not only are the commandments of God, which is the fruit of the gospel, being attacked, but the gospel itself, which would get us to the keeping of the commandments. Romans 1, 16 and 17, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then verse 17, for therein, or in this, in the gospel, in this powerful gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So it is from faith to faith, from God's faithfulness to us And our reciprocating faith to him could also be translated faith upon faith upon faith or faithfulness multiplied. And so in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, starting with his faith, his faithfulness. And then we respond in faith to his faithfulness to us. We know the scripture that we love because what? He first did what? Loved us. Well, the same really is true of faith. We have faith because He first had faith in us. Amen. And the sin virus has no chance against the powerful faith of Jesus, the pathogens of sin have no chance against the mighty lymphocytes, the faith of Jesus, to use a medical illustration. This is a phrase, um, a theology, that we actually have had passed down to us from the Reformation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed by scripture alone. However, this false system challenges every one of these items. Grace, faith, Christ, it's not Christ alone. There's several other potential saviors, according to them. It's not for the glory of God alone that they wanna take glory or man can take glory. And it's revealed in Scripture alone. Super important that it is for the glory of God alone because the true gospel humbles one and puts our glory in the dust. Any gospel that does not humble us is not the true gospel. It must do that. The system must do that. It humbles us and then it lifts us up because it brings us to Christ. The true and the false, there's a false source of authority, a false law, a false faith a false spirit that will come in. I've asked Pastor Carlos to preach next week on spiritualism, and I know he's got a great sermon for us. There is a false force or a false um, motivation, shall I say. There's freedom, and then there's force. There's a true Savior and a false Savior. As to there being a true and a false gospel, go to the book of Galatians with me this morning. And thank you for reading our scripture this morning. Galatians chapter 1 that we will start with and verse 6. Galatians 1 and verse 6. Now Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and there is a problem there. It's not a church that doesn't believe faith. Altogether, you could say, but it believes in faith plus. It is not a church that believes in faith alone. And this was so important to Paul. He uses some of his most serious language anywhere in the Bible and repeats himself twice to give emphasis. Look at it there in verse 6. I marvel, I'm astonished that you are so soon removed from him that called you, Into the grace of Christ to another gospel. Now, of course, there's not another gospel in essence, so he goes on to say that, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, the good news, and make it bad news or man centered news, the good news of the faithfulness of God. Going on, he says this. But though we, or an angel from heaven, very interesting phrase. Why didn't he say a demon from hell? Wouldn't a demon from hell be the one to do this? He says, no, even if an angel from heaven, even if Gabriel comes and preaches another gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, the King James says. And it's a word we get from the word anathema. But he doesn't stop there. You can see how important this is to Paul. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach another gospel unto you, than that you have received, let him be accursed. Strong, strong words from Paul. And then in chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you? They'd seen the cross so clearly. How could they go back to legalism and works now? Who has bewitched you? Verse 13 of chapter 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, from disobedience to the law. Actually, go back to verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. And that's not freedom. That is bondage. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things that are written in the book. So the curse is disobedience. Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no man, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. It's by faith alone. And so this was a huge issue. And we might look and say, well, yeah, the papacy's doing this and doing that, but what about us? What about us? Are we mixing works and faith together? Now, works are important. And Galatians 5, 6 says, it's faith that works by love and purifies the soul. So it's not faith plus works, it's faith that works. Huge difference, not many words, but it's a huge difference in the outcome. Regarding authority, Roman Catholicism says the Word of God includes the Apocrypha, the Magisterium, which is the Church's authority to interpret divine truth, which really is above all pretty much the Pope's ex cathedra pronouncements, that is, sitting in his chair announcements, not physically sitting in his chair, but at his work, uh, you could say, and an indefinite body of Church tradition. All of these are to them their authority, the Church sees herself as the guardian and interpreter of the scriptures. When asked, is the Bible the sole rule of faith for a Catholic? The answer is unequivocally no, and they'll be the first to tell you this. In fact, all this is from their sources. So there is another area of authority, and that is a very big problem. As the Sabbath school folks pointed out today, And I have one quote I want to share with you. At every revival of God's work, the prince of evil is aroused to more intense activity. He is now putting forth the utmost efforts for a final struggle against Christ and his followers. The last great delusion to open before us is soon to come. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible, impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and miracle must be tested. But if you've got all these other sources, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And God doesn't want any of us deceived. He wants us undeceived. Christ alone as Savior? Well, unfortunately not. This is a quote also. With a still more ardent zeal for piety, religion, and love, let them, that is Catholics, continue to venerate, invoke, and pray to the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, conceived without original sin, that's the teaching of the Immaculate Conception, Let them fly with utter confidence to this most sweet mother of mercy and grace, she having in her care the work of salvation. I don't think so. I think Jesus has that in his care. She stands at the right hand of her only begotten son, Jesus Christ our Lord. She presents our petitions in a most efficacious manner. When she asks, she obtains. Now this is a little problem with the character of God, I think, here, because yes, God, I don't know, he's a little tough. He may not, you may not get it. Jesus, he's a little easier, but Mary always gets it, so just ask Mary. She'll, she'll get it. What she asks, she obtains. Her pleas can never be unheard. And then this <clears throat> statement, and this is from Pope Pius 92: she has been appointed the queen of heaven. We don't have time to go there, but I wish I could, to Jeremiah chapter 44. Maybe that'll be a good afternoon reading for you about the Queen of Heaven. It's never a good title in Scripture. Scripture says, Isaiah 45, Gather yourselves and come, draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save That is Mary. It's not a God who can save. She's not a God at all. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, Jesus says. A righteous God and a savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus alone salvation is through faith alone the reformation said and this movement Seventh-day Adventist is built on the backs of the reformation we come straight from them we are reformers But the Council of Trent, which has nearly 100 anathemas, says this. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, let him be anathema or let him be damned. So clearly you see the contrast. They go on to say this in the catechism. Luther invented a thing which he called justifying faith. I don't think he invented it. He certainly saw it clearly. And this justifying faith to be a sufficient substitute for all the above painful religious works, an invention which took off every responsibility from our shoulders and laid it on the shoulders of Christ. I say amen to that. That's exactly right. They have framed a new dogma not to be found in any of the creeds or the canons or any council. I mean the new dogma of justification by faith alone. Or by faith only, by adding the word alone, Protestants profess to exclude all exterior, ceremonial, pious, or charitable works, works of obedience or of penance, and good moral acts, whatever, and don't, I don't miss this last part, as a means, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they're not a means of apprehending justification, absolutely not, or conditions to obtain it. Absolutely. Jesus says, come just as you are. Think of the two men that went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. And oh, the Pharisee had this wonderful prayer. I, you know, I I tithe even of my little garden herbs and, you know, I'm just so wonderful. And all the tax collector or publican could say is, be merciful unto me, God, a sinner. The Bible says, this is in Luke 18, that he went down to his house justified, while the Pharisee did not. That's how justification happens. Going on, it says, to do these acts with a view of being justified, all these works, is, the Protestants say, like giving a penny to the queen to obtain from her a royal gift. It pales in significance to the gift. It can't, you can't earn the gift. It's a gift. Come as you are, they add. You cannot be too bad for Jesus. Through faith alone in his promise, they assert you can and should accept Christ's merit, seize Christ's redemption, and his justice or his righteousness. And that is exactly true. True. Appropriate Christ to yourself. Believe that Jesus is with you, is yours, that he pardons your sin, and all this without any preparation. That's key, that's crucial. That's the gospel. And yet, A.T. Jones said, as he read this, this is from the 1893 General Conference Bulletin, he said, you know, he said, for four years, I have had to deal with these statements from Seventh-day Adventists. Not from Roman Catholics, but from Seventh-day Adventists. The spirit was alive and well in the church in 1893. Is it alive and well today? Or do we see the gospel as something that we, oh yes, we prepare ourselves and then it's good news and then we can go forward. Interesting. All this without any preparation or without any doing on your part and whoever loaded with sins, if you just trust in Jesus, that he will forgive your sins and save you You are by that trust alone, personally redeemed, justified, and placed in a state of salvation. That is the gospel. Come as you are. Amen. Think about the prodigal son. What did he have to do to come back? He didn't do it. You know, I mean, he tried to prepare this little speech that he was going to give to his father. That didn't even pan out, right? He didn't even finish the speech and the father took him in. You've got to imagine, this guy probably smelt pretty bad. Feeding the pigs probably looked pretty bad, but he came to himself. He came to himself. He came to the realization of the faithfulness of his father. And he turned. And his father, even when he was a great way off, accepted him. He ran to him. There's no good upstanding Middle Eastern villager would do. And so that's what we must do. We must run to Christ just as we are. Some people think they can't go to church because they messed up that week. And oh, I would feel so hypocritical. Well, where are you going to get cleaned up if you don't go to church? Or I can't go to God. You know, I, I got to get my life together first. That's the wrong order of things. You must go to God and then he can get your life together. It's the only way that it will happen. Now, faith is also... To the Catholic, faith is something different. Faith is in the creed or the sacraments. As one writer put it, they simply draw up a statement of stuff, this is A.T. Jones, that they call the doctrine of God and then you believe that and do your best and that passes for justification by faith. But faith is in Christ. Actually, the instrumental means to God or the instrument, is, in the Catholic religion, the sacraments. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Eucharist and the Mass, because all of this, it just really messes up our view of the character of God. We're not going after any people, but we must have a clear understanding of God's character. And this all fits into a last-day scenario. So if that's not faith, what exactly is true faith? And go with me to Timothy, and we're getting... Close to closing, not that close, however, Um, but getting that direction. And if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want you to see something about faith there. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Why am I not seeing that as I was looking to see it? It talks about faith, and it talks about God and and His love. So here's here's a statement about faith, where there's not only a belief in God's Word, because we're told in James that the devil's also what? Believe and tremble, right? And so... Faith is believing in God's word that it can do the impossible, but it's more than that. It's something that touches the heart. It's a belief in God's word that it will do just what it says, but it's a submission of the will to him, where the heart is yielded to him and the affections fixed upon him. There is faith. So that is the true faith. Faith. And if you look at me, oh, I'm sorry, First Peter. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. I knew that that was not what I was looking for. First Peter chapter 1, and we look at this subject of faith. And you think of Mary Magdalene. Jesus said that her faith was to be spoken of throughout the whole world. And her faith was not just a belief that God would do what he said he would do. He, she did have that. But her faith was a heart appreciation of Calvary. 1 Peter 1 says this in verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, 1 Peter, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen So faith is the evidence of things not seen. Whom having not seen, you what? You love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So this faith is something that sees the impossible, that sees the unseen. It's also something that having not seen, we love. And so faith involves this heart appreciation, this heart-gripping appreciation of God and his things. The Catholic belief, but if with assistance of actual grace, good works are done by a person who is in a state of justifying grace, then they are acceptable to God and an increase in merit of grace comes to them on earth and of glory in heaven. Also, penance is the means by which sins are forgiven. In the case of grown-up persons, some dispositions are required on the part of the sinner in order to be fit to obtain habitual and abiding grace of justification. Again, now we come just as we are. And God takes care of the rest, but to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly. Romans 4, 5, his faith is counted for righteousness. Again, regarding the mass, that's another aspect of salvation to them. The priest brings Christ down from heaven and renders him present at the altar, our altar, the Catholic altar, as the eternal victim for the sins of man. Not once, but a thousand times. The priest speaks, and lo, Christ, the eternal and omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. The faith of millions, John O'Brien, who is a Catholic priest. And then Canon 1, again concerning the Mass, if anyone denies that in the sacrament the most holy Eucharist are contained truly, really, and substantially the body and blood of together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone says that, let them be anathema. That's exactly what we say. That's exactly what the Bible says, what we teach. He didn't become actually... He's not the the bread, right? If anyone says that the sacrament uh, denies that the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist are contained truly, really, substantially, the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and consequently the whole Christ but says that he is in it only as a sign or a figure or force, let him be anathema. Council of Trent again. And then this one, very interesting, goes even further. If you say that, That shouldn't be offered for the dead, your anathema. That's what this one says. If anyone says that the sacrifice of the mass is only one of praise and thanksgiving, or that is a mere commemoration of the sacrifice consummated on the cross, but not a propitiatory one, very important, he's dying again for your sins, actually being crucified again. If you say there's no propitiation in the mass, or that it profits him only who receives it, and ought not be offered for the living and the dead? For sins, punishment, satisfaction, and other necessities, let him be anathema. Well, salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. And the Sabbath is the great memorial of Christ's creation and redemption. If you weren't with me before, stick with me now. I know we're, we're near closing here, but you've got, you, you've got to hold this clearly. Sabbath is a memorial of creation, and it's a memorial of redemption. How are we redeemed? Super important. Because underneath Sunday is a whole other system of redemption, a whole other Savior, as we have just looked at, a whole other day that recognizes really a different Savior. The heart of the Sabbath is Christ hanging on the cross. And Jesus is always inviting, but never forcing. Very important. Jesus is always inviting, but never forcing. That's the way the gospel works. It is so powerful when the gospel is preached that it compels people to come in. A false gospel has to use force because it has no power. And that's exactly what we see in these last days. And so a few current events to tie us in. A global government to fight a global coronavirus. It's at least being talked about and being touted today by not just some random people, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, the former prime minister, a global government to tackle a global crisis. Actually, sounds reasonable, doesn't it? And so as we get close to closing here, evangelicals and Catholics together back in 1994, Chuck Colson put together this grouping, uh, among others. And this was a group that was to form a powerful political bloc. So you say, well, where do the Protestants fit into all this? Well, we're going to get to that as we close. So to form a powerful political block to affect change in the United States of America on the political side, to put pressure on the system. Things like abortion, I mean, some of these issues are good issues, right? Things like abortion, and even things like a free market economy. What does the church have anything to do with pushing a free market economy? I mean, I'm all for a free market economy, but the church has her place and that's not it. Things like abortion, even a free market economy, which is not a biblical issue, and this is their statement, evangelicals and Catholics together. By the way, there are some Protestants that stood up and said, we will not sign this document. Uh, Many did, but a few did not, and they stood up and said, there's no way we're going to just mortgage our faith for this. We cannot sign a joint statement. We don't believe the same things, The end doesn't justify the means. Means doesn't justify the end. Together, this is what it says, together we contend for the truth that politics, law, and culture must be secured by moral truth. Now that's very interesting and we'd like all those things to be in the realm of moral truth, wouldn't we? But who's the arbiter of the moral truth? That's the big kicker here. And why are evangelicals and Catholics joining together to do this anyway? We have a a goal that we're out to do, and that's to share the gospel, not to change politics in this way. Much more closer to home is the Faith and Freedom Coalition. 2009, Reed put this together or was one of the key men in this and their little mission statement look at this it almost sounds the same to start with together we will influence public policy and enact legislation that strengthens families and promotes time honored values again that sounds who, who could be against strengthening families and time honored values wonder what that means well, this is the group that has a tremendous power today. They're a super huge voting block. And when they speak, people listen. So these are the forces that are joining together today in these last days. And Sunday will be the big dividing point. Underneath Sunday is something very important. And underneath Sabbath is something very important. So we've looked at that today today saw this from 2012, Sunday is the day of the Lord and of man, a day which everyone must be free. So Sunday is the day we should be free to do things. Again, that's not a bad thing. Wouldn't be bad for us to be free to be with our families on Sunday, as long as everybody understands which day is the Sabbath. (laughs) Sunday must be a day of rest dedicated to God and family. That was way back in 2012. But today to know the Christ of Calvary is more important than anything, to trust in his faithfulness. And I've got to we're running a little late, but I've got to take you to one more text, the text that we had to begin with, and that is Galatians chapter 2. Because this is the way we live. Galatians 2, 16 and onward says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. So the faith of Jesus is spoken of, his faith, and then we have believed in Jesus, our faith, which grabs hold of his faithfulness, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Skip to verse 20, where it says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So I am dead, Christ is living in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's this love of God, this love of Christ that will finally prevail in our day against all forces that come against it. Christ's robe of righteousness will be put on us, not over the old dirty robe as this picture shows, sorry, but the the old robe is taken off and the new one is put on. Christ cleanses purifies gives us his joy and peace and so let us rest our faith in his faith or his faithfulness today god's character is soon and right now is being written in our foreheads this is the sealing process which is happening now and i praise the lord for it his complete trustworthiness is beyond any question i hope you're convinced that Christ is faithful, God is faithful, and that you want to stand for what he stands for, and you want the Savior from heaven, not the one from earth. Think of the scripture where it says, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. It's if they're looking up at one. In contrast to somebody else, maybe. He will save us, not this guy. He will save us. We look forward for that day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that against all the combined powers of hell, they are absolutely no match for you, Lord. And as long as we keep our faith in your faithfulness to us, our trust in you, you will bring us off more than conquerors in every situation. We can count on you to be faithful in every situation. Thank you for the faith of Jesus, the perfect life which he lived, which now you offer to us. Lord, we don't have a perfect faith to offer, but there is a perfect faith out there. It's the faith of Jesus, and we can receive that as a gift just now. So please, Lord, speak for your servants. Listen, give us that gift. Lord, we receive it in the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen.